are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, take your Bible quickly and go to the book of Ruth with me, please. The book of Ruth. I'm glad those aren't just good songs. Those are good truths. And uh, one day we'll get to see Jesus, amen, face to face. And I appreciate that. And I'm probably the only preacher up here that can't sing, so I had to call in backup. But anyway, Ruth, chapter number four, verse number one, please. If you're able to stand, would you stand with me quickly just to stretch? And uh, we'll get through the message as quickly as we can and uh, move on with the rest of the day. Ruth chapter number 4, verse number 1. The Bible says, Then went Boaz up to the gate and set him down there. And behold, the kinsman of whom Boaz spake came by, unto whom he said, Ho, such a one, turn aside, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit ye down here. And they sat down. And he said unto the kinsman, Naomi that has come again out of the country of Moab selleth a parcel of land which was our brother Elimelech's. And I thought to advertise thee, saying, Buy it before the inhabitants and before the elders of my people. If thou wilt redeem it, redeem it. But if thou wilt not redeem it, then tell me that I may know, for there is none to redeem it beside thee. Now watch the response. He said, And I am after thee. And the man said, I will redeem it. Now up to this point, Boaz goes to this unnamed man and said, Do you remember Elimelech? Elimelech died in Moab. But Elimelech left a parcel of ground, and you're the near kinsman, so you have first rights to it. If you want to redeem it, it's yours. No doubt the man thought, that's a good piece of ground. I could uh, build a house there, maybe raise a, a family there, maybe have a farm there. He thought about it for a minute and thought, I'll take the ground, I want the dirt, I'll, I'll take it, I'll take that piece of land. In verse 5, the Bible said, Then said Boaz, What day thou buyest the field of the hand of Naomi? Then must buy it also of Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of the dead, to raise up the name of the dead upon his inheritance. Now watch how this man changes. And the kinsman said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I mar mine own inheritance. Redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. After he found out that the land was attached to Ruth, connected to that woman, that Moabitess woman, this man all of a sudden didn't want that piece of ground. No doubt he thought to himself, if I get connected with her, people are going to talk bad about me. If I get yoked up with her, it will hurt my testimony. I'll take the dirt, but I don't want the girl that comes with it. A lot of baggage there. I don't want her. You can have her. Boaz goes through the ritual of becoming that near kinsman, and he and Ruth get married. The Bible says that God blesses that union of this Redeemer and the one who needed redeemed. And when that Redeemer and the one who needed redeemed got hooked up together, there was a natural byproduct, an offspring, an outflow. God blessed and she conceived and the Bible said that God gave her a son. In verse 17, we find his name. The Bible said, and the women, her neighbors, gave it a name saying, there's a son born to Naomi. Now watch this. They called his name Obed. He's the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these ladies get together, and there's Ruth with a baby, and they say, Ruth, 
there's only one thing you can call that baby. You better call him Obed. Now, if you look up that word Obed, what it means is simply this, praise, worship, adoration, devotion. So here's what we could say, the natural byproduct of one who needed redeemed. When they get hooked up to a redeemer, the natural outflow or byproduct or fruit of that union ought to be praise, worship, faithfulness, devotion. For a little while, and I won't be very long, I want to take you through the story of Ruth and show you a picture, I pray, and preach on this thought. I was unworthy, but I was not unwanted, and that's why I worship. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts, please, this morning. Thank you for the good preaching that we've already heard, but Lord, I pray that you would meet with us now, please, one more time. Make this Old Testament Bible story come to life and help us to see ourselves in the New Testament truth that's within it. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen? You can be seated. The book of Ruth is a life-changing book. Really, all of the Bible is a life-changing book, but I especially enjoy reading and preaching from the book of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth was probably penned by the prophet Samuel during the period of the Judges. Now, if you study the book of Ruth, you'll find there's many significant things about this book. By way of introduction, I'll mention four. The first thing significant about the book of Ruth is the book of Ruth is named after a woman. If you study the Bible, you find that most of the books in the Bible are named after men, prophets, priests, kings, shepherds, things of that nature. But this book in the Bible is named after a woman. So ladies, here's your sermon, so we don't want to hear you more complaining the rest of the week, all right? Now, the second significant thing I found about the book of Ruth is it's void of great miracles. If you read the book of Ruth, you do not see water turned into grape juice. You do not see the dead raised to life. You do not see the lions get locked jaw. You don't see the Red Sea parting. Nothing like that takes place. But can I say that oftentimes we've come to associate the miraculous only with those big spectacular things. But can I say that God is in every minute detail of life. Every time your heart beats in rhythm, it's a miracle and a blessing from God. And though we don't see any great miracles, God is working in the book of Ruth. The third thing is this book focuses on a family. All throughout this book, God hones his attention in on a particular family. And that's a good reminder to you and I that our God is the God of the family. In fact, preachers say it all the time, before God ever organized a church, He ordained the family in the Garden of Eden. And I understand that the family is made light of on sitcoms and in pulp culture, but can I say God is still interested and for a traditional biblical family of one man and one woman for life, and then that union producing children. That is God's design, and that is God's way. The fourth significant thing about the book of Ruth is it's a story or a tale of redemption. All throughout this book, we find that theme, that golden strand of redemption running through the book of Ruth. At the beginning of this story, there's a woman who's a foreigner, estranged from God. But by the end of the story, she's part of the family of God. In the beginning of the book, she's not accepted. By the end of the book, she is accepted. In the beginning of the story, she's a widow. But by the end of the story, she's wed and married once again. And you see that theme of redemption throughout the book of Ruth. Now, you might know the story, but if I don't tell it to you, I've got no sermon. So let's start at the beginning. 
The Bible says that there was a famine that came to Bethlehem, Judah. Now, that is the place of the people of God. A famine comes. And let me say that just because you're saved, it does not mean you'll never have struggles, trials, or storms in the Christian life. The famine comes. There's no bread on the table. There's no bread on the shelf. There's no bread at the grocery store. There is nothing to eat. There's a famine in the land. There's a man by the name of Elimelech. Elimelech makes a hasty decision to take his family and to relocate from the will of God, if you will, Bethlehem, Judah, to a place called Moab, which is a type or a picture of the world. And here's something I want you to remember. You'll always make the wrong decision when you make a decision on emotion and not principle. You see, the famine might have been bad, but it was not enough to make every family relocate. It was just enough to make Elimelech relocate. Never make a decision in the heat of a trial. Never make a decision in the heat of battle. But you stand still and let God move and wait till God says go. He takes his family to Moab, a wicked place. He plans to sojourn there, but that's just how the world works. You can't just jump in and out of the will of God. It's a lot harder to get back than it is to get out. As they're there in Moab, they don't sojourn. They put down roots. While they're there in Moab, Elimelech dies. What a horrible testimony. Daddy died out of the will of God. Daddy died out in the world. While they're there, the sons of Elimelech and Naomi marry some Moabitess women. Daddy's backsliding did not just affect him, it infected and affected his entire family. These boys married a couple of ladies. One was named Ruth and the other was named Oprah. Not really, but I just think Oprah would have made a good Moabitess. Everybody all right? These boys are named Malon and Chilion. Now, I'm all for Bible names, but I think God's parents don't use those two. But anyway, after some time, these two boys also die in Moab. What a sad scene it is. Naomi is now bitter and broken. Her husband took the family out of the will of God, and she lost her husband, and she's buried her two boys. Naomi gets news that God has blessed his people again in Bethlehem, Judah. God is showing up again where he used to show up. God is moving again where he used to move. There's bread again in Bethlehem. And Naomi makes the decision to go back to where God is. And let me say this, God always blesses where God has always blessed. If God has blessed in the past, he will bless again in the present. You say, what do you mean? If God used to bless Bible preaching, he'll still bless Bible preaching. If God used to bless separation, he'll still bless separation. If God used to bless holy living, he still blesses a holy lifestyle. And she decides to go back to where God is blessing again. You might be here th this morning and you feel like you've wandered from God. I've got good news. He always has a welcome mat at the front door. And even though we often stray and we're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I'm glad God will welcome us back. She begins her trek back to Bethlehem, Judah, and at first both girls follow. After some time, she turns to the girls and says, you ought to go back. Where I'm going, there's nothing for you. I'm broke. I have no more sons. Stay here. And the Bible said at first both of the women refuse and they follow on. Later, Ruth turns back, or rather Naomi turns back and says, girls, stay here. There's nothing for you where I'm going. And the Bible says that Orpah 
kisses her mother-in-law and turns back, but Ruth cleaves and goes on with Naomi. Now the story transitions from focusing on Elimelech and Naomi to focusing on this girl by the name of Ruth. Now I want to say a few things about Ruth that might be a little bit surprising to you, but I think it'll make sense here in just a minute. But some things about Ruth that you need to understand. Number one, Ruth is wicked. You say, Brother Cooper, how is that possible? I mean, Ruth is a virtuous woman. There's a book in the Bible named after Ruth. Yes, but you have to understand, she's not wicked because of what she'd done necessarily. She's wicked because of what she was. The Bible calls her Ruth the Moabitess. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, God cursed the Moabites and said they could have no entrance into the congregation of the Lord. That means there is nothing about her that was right in the eyes of God. All of her virtue was tainted. All of her goodness was stained. Everything about Ruth in the eyes of God was unrighteous, not because of what she did, but simply because of what she was. She was born, if you will, into the wrong family, into the wrong nation. Not only was she wicked, but Ruth was wrecked. You say, what do you mean? She's a young lady and already buried her husband. Don't you think that they got that little first-time homebuyer's house together and she was so excited about their future? I mean, had dreams and hopes, and that's her security, that is her plan, and now she's had to bury that man. I'd say that she wrestled with it through the night. She worried. We could say it like this, her way was hard. She knew what it was to sorrow. Not only was she wicked and wrecked, but you come to chapter 2 and we find that she was wanting. They go back to Bethlehem, Judah, and they have no money at all to buy any kind of food, so she has to go out and glean or beg in the fields just to make the ends meet. She is void. She is empty. She has a hole in her life, and she can't do anything about it. She's at the mercy of others to meet that need. Can I say what a horrible spot that would be to be in? I mean, wicked in the eyes of God, wrecked, a life that's so hard and miserable and wanting and emptiness that you just can't fill in and of yourself. And not only that, she was just wandering without direction. As you come to chapter 2 and verse number 3, there's a phrase, and the phrase says this, her hap was to light on a part of the field. Now that phrase, her hap, is like saying she just happened into this field. That means if she went out to glean in the field, she had no direction. She had no purpose. She didn't know where she was going. She's just wandering aimlessly, hoping to make the ends meet on that particular day. What a woman. I mean, in the eyes of God, wicked. Her life is wrecked. She has a hole in her life. She's wanting, just wandering through life. But let me say this. While she was wicked, wrecked, wandering, and wanting, thank God, God was working behind the scenes. While she was not looking for God, God was looking out for Ruth because the Bible said she wandered into the right place. Now, back then, they didn't have property signs. They didn't have posted signs. And so she didn't know whose field it was, but God put her in the right spot. The Bible said she happened into a field who was owned by a man by the name of Boaz. Boaz, the Bible said, is a mighty man of wealth. 
That means he has power that others do not have. He has ability that others would not possess. Not only that, he's a near kinsman to Elimelech. That means he can execute judgment. He can raise up a name under that which is dead. He can get back everything that the world took away. He can restore it to the life of Ruth and Naomi. Can I say God is being good to that girl by the name of Ruth? One day Ruth is there gleaning and Boaz rides up on his horse. The servants are there and they meet Boaz and Boaz says, whose damsel is this? And immediately they say, that's that Moabitess damsel. What they're doing is accusing and they're saying, that is that wicked woman. That's that wrecked woman, that wandering woman, that wanting woman. And he could have shooed her away, but he welcomes her. And he introduces himself to her and begins to speak to her. And he says, from now on, you don't go to anybody else's field. He said, you stay right here. He said, I'm going to make sure every bit of food on your table comes from one place. Every need you have is met by one man. Everything in your life, if you have a need, you just stay here. You'll find your need met. What my servants eat, you eat. What they drink, you drink. He said, from now on, you've got it made in the shade. You just stay with me. She doesn't even know who he is yet. He's just being good because that's how he is. She looks at him and said, why have I, a stranger, found grace in thy sight? And can I say, I don't know why she found grace. I guess Boaz is just good like that. He sends her home loaded down, the Bible says, with an ephah of barley. Now, if you were to study it out, an ephah of barley is a bunch. Hello. I can see it in my mind. She's been out there gleaning all day, and she comes home with that ephah of barley. Naomi's in the house, and uh, Ruth gets to the door, and she can't knock the door. Her hands are so full, maybe she kicks it. And Naomi, being the mother-in-law that she was, says, what? And Ruth says, open the door. And she said, who is it? And she said, it's Ruth. And Emma said, my show's on, you know. <laughs> Naomi comes, and she opens the door, and she sees Ruth with that ephah barley, and she goes, whoa, girl, where in the world did you get that? What in the world did you do today? And I can see as Ruth walks in, and she drops that ephah barley there on the table, and she said, I was out in the field today, and I was gleaning, and a man came to me, and he said, I can stay in his field, and he loaded me down with all of this good, all this goodness. He gave it to me, and she said, what's his name? And Ruth said, let me think. I think his name, let me think. I think his name was Bob. And Emma said, there aren't any Bobs in Bethlehem. Well, maybe it was Bill. No, it wasn't Bill either. Man, I'm trying to think. Maybe it was Bo. Bo, there's no Bo, Ruth. Bo, Bo, Bo. Boaz. And Ruth said, that sounds about right. Boaz. About that time, Naomi said, whoo! You got in the right field today. I know you don't know who he is, but let me tell you who he is. That man can turn our life around. That man can change our situation. He can take us from empty to full. He can take us from lack to surplus. He can get back everything that the world took away from us. Oh, you got in the right place today. And from there on out, every day, the food on their table came from Boaz. And the need they had was met by Boaz. And everything was supplied by one man by one source, in one spot, by Boaz being good in their life. Now she was wicked, wrecked, wandering, wanting, welcomed. But in chapter 3, she's worshiping. 
Now, in chapter number two, she's in his field, but by chapter three, she's at his feet. I was reading that, and I thought, what changed? And it's at the end of chapter two, and it said the harvest was ending. You know what that means? No more handfuls on purpose. No more freebies. From now on, they discovered this. Listen to me. They needed more than the blessing of Boaz. She needed Boaz himself. Naomi says, here's the idea. If we're going to survive, we have to have the person of Boaz in our life. Boaz has been winnowing barley. He's going to be sleeping on the threshing floor, and I want you to get all dolled up. Can you imagine this? Put on your makeup. Use some deodorant. By the way, girls, I'm for you wearing deodorant. Some of you should have said amen right there. All the ones who didn't wear it today are under heavy conviction. But anyway, she got all dolled up. And she goes to that place where he'd been winnowing, and he's asleep. And the Bible said that she sneaks in there, and she doesn't go in high and mighty, and, but she goes and lays down at his feet. There's a pile of winnowed barley. That's the finished work of Boaz. She offers herself, lays herself there, that finished work at his feet, uncovers his feet. And as she does that, it stirs Boaz, and he wakes up. And he looks down at his feet, and no doubt he's scared of this thing. What in the world? And about that time, Ruth turns on the charm. And you know what I'm talking about. My wife doesn't have 400 pairs of shoes for no reason. <laughs> and he looks down at her, and she says, in good old-fashioned country English, would you marry me? Now listen, here's what she's saying. You got everything, I've got nothing. Would you take me? Yeah. Your name's above every name, and my name is Dirt. Would you take me? Wow, You're a mighty man with Praise power, God. and I've got no Amen. power. Would you take me? Amen. Boy, I've been wrecked, and I've been wandering, and I've been wanting, and you've got everything. Amen. Would you take me? Yeah. I understand it's a one-sided deal, but I sure would like to have you in my life. Yeah. And would you take me? Amen. And about that time, Boaz looks on her. He said, I'll take you. Amen. She went to him in the darkness. He said, you stay till the light. You don't leave Boaz in darkness. You'll leave him in light. And he loads her down again and said, here's the deal. There's a man nearer than I, and if he wants to redeem you, he has rights. But if not, I will. You just go home and wait on me. She goes home, and she has to sit there by faith. And she has to take Boaz at his word, wait on faith. I can see her going home and say, Naomi, he said he's going to come get me to be his bride. He said one day he's going to come, and I'm going to be with him forever. He said he's going to come, and I can see as they're yeah, waiting. Now, man. listen, they're waiting on this side, but Boaz is working on that side. They couldn't see Boaz. They didn't know what he was doing, but it didn't negate the fact he was working on their behalf on the other side. Every day they looked out the window probably, I hope he comes today. If he doesn't come today, I hope he comes tomorrow. I just know this. He said he's coming for me, and by faith, I believe he's coming soon. And while they're waiting by faith, he's working on their behalf. The Bible said in chapter 4 that he gathered the elders of the city. That's all those old men who meet at McDonald's and lie over Egg McMuffins in the morning. He gathers all those men together. He gets that near kinsman and said, hey, listen, we've got a problem. He said, Elimelech died in Moab. That man said, I know it's the most horrible thing I've ever heard in my life. What a shame. He said, yeah, but he left a piece of ground. That man said, I know. I saw that piece of property. Good piece of property. He said, well, it's yours if you want it. That man thought to himself, I could build a house. I could raise a farm. Could maybe kill a deer every once in a while. I'll take the farm. And the man said, Boaz said, all right, it's yours. He said, but wait. He said, if you take the field, it comes connected with a female. And you don't just get the field, but you have to marry Ruth, that Moabitess. 
And all of a sudden, that man thought, I'd take the dirt, but I don't want the girl. She's worth less to me than that dirt would be. She's not worthy. I don't want her at all. Oh, it would wreck my testimony. A little gossip at the grocery store. A little tweet about her on Twitter. My name will be dirt and ruined in this town. If I get yoked up with that wicked, wrecked, wandering, wanting woman named Ruth, you can have her. And Boaz says, I think I'll take her. And Boaz goes through the process. The Bible said he plucks off his shoe. And by the way, I'm for going back to that. You know how much cheaper it would be? Hello, to buy a pair of shoes and those stupid engagement rings. My wife, I said, she has a closet full of Old Testament engagement rings. Ruth has been waiting. Can you imagine as Boaz comes down the road? She's been waiting by faith to see this happen. And you know in Bible times they had the crier go before the bridegroom who would announce it. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And I can see as Ruth and Naomi are sitting there in the house and all of a sudden they hear the cry. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. And they look and they see a silhouette break the horizon. And Naomi looks and Ruth looks and they say, that can only be one man. That's Boaz. He he didn't lie to us. His word was true. He's coming to get you to be his bride. And they have a wedding. And the, the church is decked out in white. And there's doves flying and rice going all over the place and they say I do and they have their first kiss they have the honeymoon God blesses she conceives and the women of that town gather around Ruth after that little baby is born they see it's a little boy and they say Ruth you have a name picked out and Ruth says well not yet I'm still thinking about a good name and those ladies say there's only one thing you can call that baby after where you were and what you were and what's been done in your life there's only one thing we can call that you've got to call that baby pray you better call that baby worship you better call that baby adoration you better call that baby baby Obed that way everywhere you go when they ask you what his name is you can say his name is praise and here's why his name is worship and here's why his name is faithfulness and here's why I once was lost but now I'm found I once was wicked but now I'm righteous I've got a new name I've got a new nation and redemption is what gave it to me this woman is now a new woman because she got hooked up with Boaz. Now all the time people ask me, Brother Cooper, why do you act like that? Why do you get so excited when you preach? Don't you ever get tired of going to church? I mean, aren't you about bored uh, with Bible study? Aren't you about over soul winning? Aren't you about getting past living separated? Aren't you tired of church every night of the world? And I want to look at them and say, no. Here's why. Because I've been redeemed. And there ought to be a little bit of Obed, a little bit of faithfulness, a little bit of worship that comes out of our life. There was a day I was like Ruth. I was wicked. I was lost in sin. A heartbeat from hell. I was headed there on a grease rail until grace and mercy came by. And I didn't forget that. I wasn't born saved. I was born lost. I was wicked. I was wrecked. The Bible said the way of a transgressor is hard. You go ask the one who's living in sin. They might tell you they're enjoying life, but there's a heart that is broken behind that facade. That's a hard existence. I was wandering. I was just going through life without any direction, and I was wanting. I was empty. But thank God while I was all those things, I was welcomed. Because while I wasn't looking for God, thank God he was looking out for me. Every time a drunk goes to the bar, gets drunk and drives home and makes it safe, that's a handful on purpose. Every time a lost person comes to church, hears the gospel, leaves lost, and God doesn't kill them and gives them another opportunity to get saved, that's a handful on purpose. 
And I was living off the benefits of God without even knowing who he was. One day I met a, a Naomi, if you will. And they told me, a soul winner said, you know, all that goodness in your life, all those great things in your life, it's all coming from one place, one source, one individual. And like Boaz, I found out I had a near kinsman made in the likeness of man. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son made of a woman, right? Born under the law to redeem them that were under the law. And I heard about Jesus and that he died for me on the cross. And that I didn't have to go to hell and that I could not go to heaven unless I accepted him. And there was a day when I understood I need more than the goodness of God in my life. I need the Son of God in my life. And I remember that I didn't go to Jesus high and lift it up either. I just went with a humbled heart and laid myself at his finished work. And I looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, would you take me? You're holy and I'm unholy. Would you take me? You're God and I'm man. Would you take me? You're eternal and I'm temporal. Would you take me? I, I use, you've never sinned and I sin constantly. Would you take me? You've never done me wrong and I know I've broken your heart. Would you take me? You never fail and I've failed you. Would you take me? And for some reason, Jesus looked on me with that same grace and mercy. And I, a stranger, was accepted by him. And at that moment, I got a new name, and I got a new nation. And one day, he's going to come and take me to a wedding. Say amen right there. So people ask me all the time. They say, why do you act like that? Why do you get so excited? Why are you so stirred up? I want to ask them, why don't you act like that? Why don't you get so excited? Why don't you get stirred up? It's not like you're going to never see hell. It's not like you get to go to heaven. It's not like you're a joint heir with Christ. It's not like you're heaven bound with the hammer down. It's not like you have a mansion on streets of gold. It's not like you're going to live as long as God lives. Yeah, if I was you, I'd be dead too. If I were you, I'd be real quiet right now. If I were you, I wouldn't smile. I sure wouldn't shout. Hey, listen, there's nothing to get excited about. It's not like, it's not like, it's not like that we're headed to heaven one day. It's not like our name's written down the Lamb's Book of Life. Hey, can I tell you, I was lost, but thank God not anymore. Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I was redeemed not with money, not with something made by hands, but with the precious blood of Christ. Oh, how wonderful Oh, how marvelous, and my song shall ever be. Oh, to grace, how great a tenor I've been redeemed. I'll never see hell. I'll never touch hell. I'll never taste hell. I'll never smell hell. I'm good for heaven as though the sun will rise in the morning. It's a sure thing on the word of God. I've been redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. I wasn't worthy. I didn't deserve it. I didn't merit it. But he looked on me and said, I'll take you. I love you. I'll die for you I want you and that's why I worship that's why I praise him that's why I want to be faithful because of how good God has been in my life I've been redeemed from my past redeemed in the present redeemed for the future redeemed from the law redeemed from guilt redeemed from shame redeemed from death redeemed from hell redeemed from the penalty of sin you say why do you act like that why don't you act like that a man was traveling across the ocean. He had no friend in his life. He had an old stray dog that would go with him. And as they were traveling across the sea, the dog got scared and jumped from his arms and fell into the water. 
And that dog was sinking in the sea. And the man cried, help! Man overboard! Help! And the sailor rushed and said, where is he? And that man said, there! And he said, that's a dog. He said, I know it's a dog, but he's my dearest friend, and I love that dog, and help him, help him. And he said, I'll not go down for a dog. That man, though he could not swim either, ripped off his shirt and kicked off his shoes and threw his own body over the side of the ship into the sea. And he linked his arms to the dog. And he said, you wouldn't come down for a dog, but would you come down for a man? And they saved the dog for the sake of the man. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. And God looked on me and said, I cannot let you in. How deep and dark the stain of sin is. I can't stand the sight nor the stench. Your iniquities have separated between you and me. You can't hope to get here. And the Son of God said, Father, I'll go. And I know that you can't let him in for his own righteousness. It's all his filthy rags. But what if I die in this place? And greater love had no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. And Jesus took me as that man would have taken that old dog, worthless, mangy mud of a dog, and he wrapped his arms around me. And one day I'll get to see God because of Jesus. Maybe here this morning, it's been a long time since there's been a baby Obed crying in the background of your Christianity. I mean, the nursery of your spiritual life is dead silent. Could I say this morning we had to birth some Obed? You had to haul off and just say, Lord, I love you and thank you for dying for me. I ought to be in hell right now, but thank God I'm a child of God. I wasn't worthy, but he wanted me. Maybe here this morning you say, Brother Cooper, I don't feel like anybody loves me, cares about me, and I'm not worthy. You're not. And there's a lot of people that might hurt you and break your heart and forsake you, but there is a God in heaven who does love you. And Calvary expresses that love that Jesus would lay down his life for us. I wish we'd get some Christian young people just stirred up about the fact that you're not going to hell. Get excited about the fact that you're heaven-bound, ready to meet God. Amen. If you've been saved, there ought to be some praise, some worship, some obed in your life. You remember the day you got saved? I'm going to pray the altar be open. Maybe we ought to get on this altar and not ask God for anything, oh, yes. Yes. but just come and praise Him a minute and thank Him for Calvary. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.